Heavenly Father, we bow our heads this afternoon in reverence and awe. Father, we have just sung those words asking the question, who is on the Lord's side? And Father, that's a decision that each one of us have to make, a choice that each one of us have to make. And Father, we just trust that each one has already made that commitment, that, all, that decision already, whether we're on the Lord's side or not. But we know, Father, life goes on and we have decisions to make of how committed we're going to be in the army of the Lord. And we just pray, Father, that as we go through this message today, that your Holy Spirit will look for commitments from each one of these individuals, every one of us, Father, under the sound of our voice this afternoon, we all need a deeper commitment. And we just pray, Father, for the full unctioning of your Holy Spirit just to, to speak to each one of our hearts in areas where we need to let go of things, areas we need to embrace. Father, just pray that you would guide us to this end. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings this afternoon to each one of you. Precious name of Jesus. The one we've been hearing about all morning, last evening. And we trust we'll continue to hear about Him and exalt Him as we go through this message this afternoon. We were asked to discuss to consider the subject of honor. The subject of honor, honoring God, is our topic for today. Before we go into this message, I would like each of us to think about why we're here. This question has already been asked, and we've already been exhorted, that we've come here with purpose. Each one of us has come here with a purpose. But the study of, of, of honor... We don't want this just to be an academic message, an academic exercise. That means we're going to sit here, we're going to listen to the subject of honor and just go through the motions. We first of all have got to come to the full realization of the one in whom we've come to honor today. And that's God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This message has to be built upon this premise of why we are here. And the one who is worthy of all of our honor, to him be glory. The verse that we'll stand on this afternoon and even over the rest of these meetings is from 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17. Maybe you already have this one memorized. But you can turn your Bibles to that. Let's find this verse. It's a very foundational verse. 1 Timothy 1.17, very short verse, it just says this, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we understand what we just read, the words we just said there? The King eternal. This isn't just some earthly king that we're going to reverence this afternoon. It's the King eternal. The only wise God, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to Him be honor and glory forever. Who is He? 
Who is God? What's our conception of Him? What do we believe about God? It's very important we understand this. I like a quote from Tozer. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It defines us. When you think about God, what comes to your mind? Someone also said, it may have been him, that a man will rise no higher than their concept of God. This is why it's so foundational. We understand our concept of God before we think about honoring him. Because he is worthy of all honor. Worthy of all glory. He is the king eternal. We're going to spend eternity in, in his presence. He is worthy. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For Jehovah your God, he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the fearful God, who does not lift up faces nor take a bribe. This is the one we're coming today to honor, to talk about honor. Deuteronomy 3.24 says, Lord Jehovah, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For who is a God in the heavens or in the earth who can do according to your works and according to your might? The answer is no one. No one can. So you see, our conception of God will determine your level of honor. If we see God as a wise, loving, kind, powerful, awesome God, won't we honor Him with everything we've got? On the other hand, if we see Him as just a, a distracted, perhaps uncaring, maybe He's busy, maybe He's distant, maybe He's just not that involved in my life, you see, our level of honor won't be very high. Matter of fact, it just kind of doesn't matter what I do. It does. It does. We want the right conception of Him. Think about this. Do I reverence Him and fear Him? We're going to be talking about some things that are very close to us today and maybe over these next few days. But do we honor and do we fear Him? Do our actions portray that I honor Him and fear Him? Do my thoughts portray that I honor Him and fear Him? Is it in the core of my being that I honor Him? Is there evidence? Is there evidence in my life? How is this reflected in my personal choices? How is it reflected in the music I listen to? Maybe the entertainment I might find myself engaging in. How does it affect the things that nobody else knows about? I need to recognize that my attitudes toward honoring the Most High God, they're being judged, they're being weighed by Him. Revelations 3, Revelations 2.23 this was spoken to the words of Thyatira. This is what Jesus says. He says that all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And I will give to every one of you according to your works. 
That's the Bible. So we need to have this proper fear and reverence and right relationship with him. And if we do, it brings freedom, brings a clear conscience, brings peace into each of our hearts. I want to challenge you, young people, with a question. The question really can apply to all of us. And it's this. Are you tired of the mediocrity and complacency that you see around you? Do you get tired of seeing people that just aren't that interested in God? Yeah, they go to church, they, they wear the right clothes, and they got the right hairdo, and whatever. But do you ever get tired of it? Does it in any way compare to what Jesus Christ teaches? To what Jesus unfolded for us as the way, the manner to live? Do you think God is honored by all the electronic distractions? I'm not saying all electronics and technology is bad, but I'm just saying, do you think God is honored when people are so distracted by their cell phones and by their computers and by Snapchat and Facebook and all the things that we can get into. Again, they're not necessarily all bad, but is God honored when that's what we go to for our comfort? Do you think God will judge this generation someday? Do you think God will judge us for our actions and our thoughts? Are you an average Christian who compares themselves to those around them. In other words, your, your commitment to Christ and your, your love for Jesus is just kind of an average love based on what other people are doing. Or is it sold out to Christ? Are you ready for revival? We've been called to a much higher plane. I so much have appreciated the brethren's talks before me. It set the stage for committed hearts. Are you ready? Are you ready for change in your life? If so, I believe it can happen. I don't know, we've got 22 young people here. I believe God could start a fire here in the hearts of every one of you that would change your communities, change your churches, change eternity for others. I read about this revival in 1904-1905 in Wales. It's called the Welsh Revival. Most of you probably heard about it. But it was at a time when spirituality was low in Wales. Churches were not that well attended. Morality was low. Things weren't really going. They'd had revivals there before, but things had just degenerated. And there was a group of about, I don't know, six or so people, young people, who, who decided that they were going to make a full commitment to Christ. And God had been working in the lives of one of these men. Evan Roberts, I believe, is his name. God had been working in his life and preparing him. And, and he was maybe one of those that, was, that the Holy Spirit used to spark this revival. And this group of people 
wanted to pledge to live holy, consecrated lives. And they come up with four simple guidelines. They vowed these four guidelines that they were going to commit themselves to. Four simple guidelines to pursue holy living. One of them was confession to God of all past sins, hitherto unconfessed. Just confessing to God whatever has not been confessed, getting real with God on their faces, confessing to God all past sins, unconfessed. Number two, was giving up everything that was doubtful. Does the Holy Spirit ever speak to your heart about some activity you may be doing that you don't really feel maybe is quite right? You just wonder, well, somebody else is doing it, but eh, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it'd be okay. I've struggled with some of those things. But you see what I mean? These people were committed to giving up everything that was doubtful where God would maybe not be pleased. Number three was open confession of Jesus Christ, just being willing to confess Jesus, that Jesus would just flow out of their mouth wherever they went, wherever, whoever they talked to. They couldn't carry a conversation on without mentioning their love for Christ. Number four was just immediate obedience to the impulse of the Holy Spirit. Immediate, immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit's promptings. The results of this revival, it spread like wildfire. And I think within eight months, 100,000 people had committed their life to Christ. And it wasn't just like a, a Billy Graham revival where people just said, oh, count me in, I'll believe. It changed their communities. The bars closed down. The public houses closed down. The lawyers didn't have, they didn't have any, or the judges didn't have any cases to try. People changed. And you've probably heard this before, but it's kind of humorous, but even the mules in the mines didn't hardly know how to obey and how to work because they were so used to being kicked and cussed at and beaten by the miners. It was all gone. What could God do with this group of young people that committed to fully honoring God? What could God do? What could the Holy Spirit do in each of your lives? Well, we'll talk a little bit about what it means to honor God. I'm going to go through several points here. I don't know if I'll get through all of them, but I'm going to, I'm going to start here. Jesus said these words to the Pharisees. He said, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I think what he's saying here is these people look good on the outside. They could say the talk. They could, they could act like good Christians. But it was just lip service. It was just coming from their mouth. It wasn't coming from what was inside. It wasn't coming from their heart. And Jesus is more interested in our heart than our lips. We don't need to go tell people, I love Jesus and, and, and speak his name if it's not in our heart. God gives us a promise. He says in 1 Samuel 
He says, Wherefore the Lord of Israel saith, Them that honor me will I honor, and they that despise me will be lightly esteemed. In the setting here, I believe he was talking to Eli. And Eli, as you know, had some wicked sons who did not honor God. And he's just saying, if you honor me, I'll honor you. If you don't honor me, you'll be lightly esteemed. And I think that word means there's more to that word than, I don't, know, I don't think that when we dishonor God, that God doesn't take away our salvation. We're not lost. But we lose a blessing. We lose a blessing from God when we dishonor Him. Maybe that's what it means by being lightly esteemed. Okay, the Old Testament word for honor, the, the Hebrew word is kabod, and it just simply means to give weight. It means to grant a person a position of respect or authority. You've heard the term before, his words were weighty. That's what it means. They were honored. They, were, they had respect. They commanded respect. That's what that Old Testament word may, in the New Testament the word is tomeo. It's a Greek word, tomeo. And that means similar. It just means to prize, to value, to respect, to esteem, dignity. All these are words that, that describe this Greek word tomeo. And it goes hand in hand. Won't we honor someone who we value? The reason we don't honor people is because we don't value them. If there's somebody in your life that you don't value, you, have a, or you don't respect, you'll have a hard time honoring them. So just a question. I have little questions as I go through. You can ask yourself. Some of them are on your list there. Do I honor God with my heart? Really? My heart or my lips? Just a question you can ponder. I want to talk briefly about eight ways we can honor God. Eight ways in which we can honor God. One of them is, is we'll honor Him by our obedience. We'll go through these in a little more detail, but I'll give you the eight now. We honor Him by our obedience. Number two, we'll honor Him by our devotion. We'll honor Him by our being devoted. Number three, we'll honor Him with our resources. Honoring Him with our resources. That means what God has entrusted into us. Number four, we'll honor God by our possessions. Resources might refer more to, to money. Possessions, we'll honor God with possessions, the things we have, things we buy. Number five, we'll honor Him with our time. Honor God with our time. We're accountable for every minute, every second. Number six, we'll honor Him with our bodies. Am I going too fast? Keeping up? Honoring Him with our bodies. Number seven, we'll honor Him by our choices, by making good choices. Number eight, we will honor Him by worship and praise. Honor Him with worship and praise. And there's many, many more. And we'll just scratch the surface. <clears throat> well, let's first of all thinking about honoring God by our obedience. What does it mean to honor God by our obedience? 
we're familiar with the words of Jesus. Jesus says, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Very familiar verse. We know that by heart. We could all quote it. But what he's saying here is that obedience is really synonymous with love. It really kind of means the same thing. It's like if a, if a, if a father tells his child, uh, gives him a chore, and, and, and he goes out and he obeys him, does it? No, that's a sign of honoring his father, loving his father. If he chooses not to obey him, that's a sign of dishonor. So disobedience is dishonor. So I have a couple reasons why really primary motivators to honor God. One of them is love, which I've already mentioned. The other one I want to mention is duty. I thought about this. I thought I kind of red flag. Well, wait a minute. I honor God because it's my duty? Yes, we do. The Bible says so. Luke 17, 10, he says this. He says, so likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded to do, we are unprofitable servants. Say we're unprofitable servants. We've only done that which is our duty to do. So we honor him because of love. We honor him because of duty. But it's not to earn favor. We don't honor God. We don't obey God to get a brownie point or to get a pat on our back. We do it, as we said, because we love him. Another quote from Tozer, I, I like his quotes, but this one says, the man that believes will obey. Failure to obey is convincing proof that there is no faith present. I'll read that again. The man that believes will obey. Failure to obey is convincing proof that there is no faith evident. James says the same thing, just different way. God commands that we honor His Son. John 5.22, For the Father judged no man, judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So when we honor the Son, we honor God. And that pleases God. We honor the Son again by obeying Him. These probably kind of all tie together. So we need to examine our life with a question, is there any area in our life that we're not surrendering to God? Is there an area that I'm really not obeying God, that I'm not surrendering to Him? Maybe it's a thought pattern. Maybe it's fantasies. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's a habit. Why am I holding on to it? Will I let it go? Well, let's think about honoring God by our devotion. <clears throat> honoring God by our devotion. Honoring God by our devoted love, you might say. So what will it cost you to honor God? If you really want to honor God, what is the price? Really, it's surrender. That's what God's really asking of every one of us today. He's asking that we honor Him by surrendering our life to Him. You know what surrender means? It means to yield to another power. That's what an army does. When an army is, is beaten and they can't, they can't make it anymore, they're backed into a corner, they surrender. That means they yield to a greater power. Somebody has taken them over. That's what God wants us to do for Him. That's how we can honor Him by devoted love, by surrendering our heart 
It's the test of honor. Men will gladly die for what they honor, won't they? You, you'll read in the paper that, that, that somebody died in the military service. And his parents may say, it was such an honor for him to give his life for his country because he was devoted to it. He thought it was, it was everything to him. He, that's why he was fighting. He was devoted to it. So he would honor his, it was an honor to die because of his devotion. It was a worthy cause. <clears throat> God wants us to honor him with all of our heart. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might. We've heard these verses. Jesus said the same thing. But you notice the words in there, there's, there's a word that's repeated several times. It's a three-letter word. What is it? All. All. He wants all of us. This word love means to be fond of. God wants us to love him with a fondness, a friendship, a fondness, a devotion, an affectionate love. Do you love God like that? Do we love God like that? Well, we talked about surrender, what it will cost to be devoted to give God our devoted love, it costs surrender. Surrender of our wills, surrender of our rights, surrender of our fleshly appetites, surrender of our pride. See, those, those touch some areas that in every one of us that are tender. They're not always easy to give up. Who wants to? How easy is it to give up our will? Not very easy sometimes. It doesn't always come easy. Jesus kind of summarized these words in Deut uh, that was spoken in Deuteronomy 6.4. Jesus, as we, those of you who heard the message yesterday, Jesus drew a very, very clear line in the sand. And he asked his followers, he says, here's the line. He says, if you want to follow me, I'm here. Step over the line. But then what he says, what it's going to cost you, unless you're willing to give up your dearest relationships, if need be, if they stand between you and Jesus, you'll have to, you may have to give up your father or your mother or your family or your job, whatever is dear to you, whatever is standing between you and Christ, if you want to follow me, step over across the line. And then he goes on and he says, and whosoever will not forsake all that he has can't be my disciple. And I can just imagine people walking off, off, out, leaving the crowd. You see, he wasn't trying to make his gospel palatable so people would believe it or so people would, would want to join his, come into his camp. He drew the line very specifically and he does that for you and me. It's no different today than it was back then. So we must have, be willing to surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Say goodbye. That word, as we said yesterday, forsake all, 
it means goodbye. Goodbye. Whatever stands between me and Christ, goodbye. And he says, you can't be my disciple unless you do. This is what devoted love will cost us. We must examine our heart. What does it mean for you to forsake all? Is there anything that God's asking you to forsake in your life? Have I truly counted the cost to be a disciple? You see, we live in a time when people just, anybody can believe, just go and get baptized, confess Christ, and you're a Christian. There's much more to it. It's a commitment, committed life, surrendered life. God says very clearly that he is a very jealous God. God says he will have no competition. Now, you young people realize none of you are married here. But I can just relate to this a little bit. That how would have I felt if while I was courting my wife and then and, and making a commitment to her, perhaps an engagement, and then to find out that she's over on the side dating someone else. You see, the, the tendency in my heart would be very jealous. I wouldn't like that. I'd say, you either take, take him or me, one of the two. And see, God is so jealous over you. He loves you so much. And like Mark talked about to this, this morning, about that betrothal period. That's where we're at. God's looking for faithfulness. He wants a pure bride, like we were told this morning. So we must examine our heart. Moses said in Exodus 34, 14, Thou shalt worship no God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God is very jealous over you. He loves you so much. He is very jealous. So we must examine our heart. Does God have first place in our life? Are there any competing lovers? Any secret or competing lovers in our life? Could be materialism. Could be whatever. We talked about some other things. Maybe we'll talk about more later. But there could be things in our life that we're hanging on to. We want to talk about honoring God with our resources. Honoring God with what is entrusted into our hands. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this, says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. There's two words that stand out to me in that verse. Two words that are repeated in those two verses. Well, it's actually in verse 8. And it's the word nothing. Did you get it? I'll read it again. 1 Timothy 6, 8. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And let us be content. Now, I realize you young people aren't so far down the road in life like many of us are. But why, why, why do people focus so much 
on accumulation. You're, you're at a time where you can make some decisions for your life of really what life is going to be about for you. Many people, many of them are my generation, are, are so focused on materialism, so focused on, on what they can gain, what they can earn, what they can save up so they can have a comfortable retirement. When it says we didn't bring anything, we're not going to leave with anything. It's all going to stay here. I've heard said, somebody said this, that life is a brief period between two points of nakedness. Two times we're naked, completely naked. One is when we're born. Job says, naked was I born, naked I returned. We leave everything behind. So we want to make sure that we use our resources for God's glory. How we spend our money, it either honors God or doesn't. Think about that. When you go to make a purchase, I'm either going to honor God or I'm not. Is there neutral things? I don't know. But I don't think there is. I think God gives us a lots of, of flexibility and, and opportunity. I'm not wanting to, to make us feel guilty over trivial things, but there are some things that maybe they're not so trivial. We need to judge these ourselves. But we either we honor God by our buying decisions. You know, whether we need another pair of shoes or whether we need another coat or another jacket or another this or another that or, or designer clothing. And maybe we'll talk about that later. But I mean, there's all kinds of things we can go to to spend money on that we're either going to honor God or we're going to honor ourselves. <clears throat> so... I've just wrote down three different ways in which we honor God. We can honor Him with our substance in a biblical manner. We're all familiar with Proverbs 3, 9. says, honor God with thy substance. That means the things God's entrusted into our hands. I think that means financial resources. It, it could mean other things. But he says, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So we want to honor Him. And so the three things, one is just is to assist with the needs of others. That's just looking for opportunities to bless other people. Looking for ways to share. 2 Corinthians 8, 14, but says that by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be a, a time to supply someone else's want, and their abundance may also supply your want, that there may be equality. What he was looking for in the church is that there wouldn't be extremes. You wouldn't have extreme rich and extreme poor. But there would be a sharing, equality. Number two, just to give to the Lord's work. Ministries, missions. They can't exist without the supply of, of, God, of resources from you. Give to God's work. Now, number three is just simply providing for our basic needs and that of our own family. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, some verses in there, summary, charge them that are rich in this world, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 
willing to communicate. Communicate means to give liberally. That's our call as Christians. Examine ourselves with a question. Do I spend money like it's mine or like it's God's? How do I spend money? Are my securities eternal or temporal? These questions might be on your little sheet there. <clears throat> my securities eternal or temporal? And do I fulfill my needs or my wants? We can have a long list of wants. But our list of needs really can be pretty short sometimes if we really look at them. Number four, let's think about honoring God with our possessions. Honoring God with our possessions. Before I leave this one, I want to go back and mention something I forgot. And that is this. God doesn't need your money. God's got plenty of it. Matter of fact, it's all His. Think about it. He says the... the the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. God's the biggest cattleman in the world. He's got everything. It's all His. You know why He wants your money? It shows where your heart is. You see, how we spend shows where our heart is. Shows where our affections are, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, honoring God with our possessions. So this is a hard one. These get awful close to me. So I'm stepping on my toes as I'm talking to you because I think it's challenging for all of us, every one of us, for me especially. So there's a God out there. You, you could call him the God of materialism. He's also called the God of this world. He's blinded the eyes of those who believe not. But there's also, let's say, a God of materialism. He's one that many people worship. Matter of fact, our world is sold out to him. Sold out, lock, sock, and barrel. And he seeks our worship by acquisition and by possessions. And he's never satisfied. You see, our God is satisfied. We can give our devoted love to God in obedience. God's satisfied, provided we're, we've come under the blood, we're Christians. But you see, this God is never satisfied. He always wants more. Now let's talk about something. We live in a different society than what I was brought up in. When I was a kid, I wanted to buy something. I had to save to buy it. Even when I was your age. We didn't have a credit card. We didn't even know about Amazon. Amazon was a river down in Brazil, I think. We didn't know about Amazon. And now where do people go? I'm the same way. You need a book, go to Amazon. You get it there in a day if you need it. Two days if you can wait a little longer. Three days if you've got lots of patience. <clears throat> but you know, I heard stores are closing down. Somebody said, what is it? Pennies or I don't know. Different stores close down because people just go to Amazon. They can buy it right there, one click, boom, and it's on its way. You get an email, on its way. And it's made it so easy to acquire things. It takes so much more discipline today than it did in my age. Do you understand what I'm talking about? One click, society. Next day, delivery. Trade and upgrade. How long does a phone last anymore? Not more than two years. You're eligible for a trade-in. Get the latest model. 
And it's so easy to do, to fall into that trap. It's got more gadgets, and it'll work faster, and on and on. Can't spend too much time there. But what a change it is. The love of money and the things it will buy, the Bible says it drowns men into perdition, into destruction. Makes them sink. To drown means it suffocates. And that's what material things does. It just, it's just like, uh, it suffocates the life, the spiritual life out of people so subtly. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. This God of materialism always will leave us drained and empty. Void. Just like blah. Let's go on. Let's think about honoring God with our time. <clears throat> honoring God with our time. This is, you might think about the God of entertainment. And this God, he seeks his worship through distractions. By being able to distract you and me from 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 the true God. Another Tozer quote, I don't know why I have so many Tozer ones, but he says, time is a resource that is non-renewable, non-transferable. When you kill time, remember, it has no resurrection. It's gone forever. You lose a minute, spend a minute on your phone instead of reading the word of God, it's gone forever. <clears throat> Ephesians says, See then did you walk circumspectfully or cautiously, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. We'll talk about that in a moment. But our culture is obsessed with entertainment. It's all around us. And it drifts into us. It drifts into the church. It gets so close to us. We have to be on our guard. The need for entertainment is an indication of what's lacking within us. It's an indication that there's a hole. There's a void that God isn't filling. I like this quote. Someone said, the more a man has in his own heart, the less he will require from the outside. The more we have of Christ in us, the less we require from the outside. Excessive need for support from without is proof of the bankruptcy of the inner man. So these people that have to be entertained all the time, they always have to have something going, always got to be listening to something. It shows bankruptcy. It shows bankruptcy. For centuries, again, I'm thinking of the challenging times that you live in today. But for 6,000 years, when somebody wanted to be entertained, what did they have to do? They built huge coliseums that would seat 10, 15, 20,000 people. They had to leave their home. They had to go to the entertainment. What's it like today? Didn't bring my phone. But I mean now, today, it's within the touch, the click of a phone, push of a button. You see how subtle Satan is? No wonder Timothy, Paul warns us and says that the last times are so deceptive. 
<clears throat> Lots of ways we can get distracted. Social media, uh, you know, if you have even your phone, you know, you have that thing on, on a chirp or a whistle or a buzz, and, and it's so hard, you know, when the thing buzzes, it's hard not, hey, somebody's telling me, there's a message there. Maybe it's something, one of my friends is doing something. Maybe they took a picture of themselves. I want to watch that. You know, so, oh, yeah, there it is. So we need to redeem the time. Just three brief ways. Actually, it's really, it's kind of a summary of one way to redeem the time. I just think serving is so much more fulfilling. Finding a way to engage in service. You have extra time. Find somebody that needs help. Find somebody you can bless. Sit down and write a card. Send an email to bless somebody, whatever. Redeem the time by serving. Colossians 1.10 says, being fruitful of every good work. Being fruitful of every good work. Being fruitful. That means productive. So we need to examine ourselves. Where do I spend my time, my spare time? Do I use it in God's service and for His glory? Or do I use it to entertain myself? Kind of along with that is... Is technology a toy or is it a tool? How do I use it? Talk briefly about honoring God with our bodies. Honoring God with our bodies. And just, first of all, kind of look at a couple different aspects of that. One is, is our adornment. How we adorn ourselves. And appealing to the latest fashion and styles. You know, this is a, the... You might call him this God of, of adornment and God of lust. But there's always a changing fashion. There's always something new, some new design, some new shirt to wear that's always changing. So we honor God by the way we dress. You see, we're representatives of his kingdom, aren't we? Aren't we soldiers of King Emmanuel's army? And we have on the uniform of King Emmanuel. That's modest, godly, Christian, simple attire. That's what he's talking about. And 1 Timothy 2, 9-10 says, In like manner also that women adorn, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. I believe this could certainly apply to men too, being modest. Uh, in sobriety, not with braided hair, braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. You see, our culture puts the, the emphasis on the outside. And I read where the, the, the jewelry and the cosmetic industries combined are about $120 billion, $130 billion. I believe that's in America. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, but anyway, you take that $120 billion. I did a little figuring. That's enough to give a $20 bill to every human being on the face of the earth. It's a lot of money that goes towards things that dangle from our ears, things that cover up our blemishes. I realize that isn't a, a challenge with you. I'm just telling you about the culture that we're living in. <clears throat> I'm so blessed, by the way, you young sisters dress in modest apparel. I am very blessed by the way you adorn yourself. 
won't spend much time about that. But the Christian focuses on the heart. The world focuses outside. The Christian focuses inside, doesn't he? That's what he's saying here about let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament, not the ornament that hangs from people's ears, but the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. But we just need to examine ourselves, continually ask ourselves, how can I dress so that I will honor God and not draw attention to myself? See, it's, it's not about me. It's all about the king. It's all about the groom. Thinking about presenting our bodies, sacrificing our bodies. Romans 12.1 says that, that I beseech you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. I know you're all familiar with that scripture. But he calls us to sacrifice our bodies. Not to fulfill them, but to sacrifice them. To give them up. When I think of sacrificing our body, I think of a consecrated body. You know what consecrated means? Consecration means it's set apart. We set apart our bodies for God. That's what a consecrated body is. And, we, and so we sacrifice him, for, set them apart for him as a daily sacrifice for his glory. We want to talk briefly about honoring God with our bodies in purity. Just living a pure life. Psalm 119, 9. Maybe you have this memorized, young men. If you don't, it's a very good one to memorize. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Taking heed unto the word of God. That's how we can cleanse our way. That's how we can cleanse our mind. And you young ladies may struggle with, 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 minds, with our minds too. I think it's a, it's a challenge for all of us to keep morally pure. But it's by taking heed to the word of God. Meditate on it. Eat it. Meditation means it's is we take it in to our minds and we roll it over and over and over again. Without meditation, someone said, it's just like looking at food, staring at food, admiring the food, what a good meal it looks like, but never eating any. Well, we'd starve to death, wouldn't we? If that's the way we dealt with food, we'd starve to death. We'll starve spiritually without meditation. And it's a wonderful protection against the enemy for moral purity. All, all sexual sin, all immoral, all immoral thoughts, all are generated from a heart that is drifting from God, that isn't honoring God. Jesus said, For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders, and so on. Need to move on quickly. We want to think about honoring God with our choices, briefly. Honoring God with our choices. This is a verse I think is, is, is very interesting. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of any. I think what he's saying there is that he's not talking about sinful things, things that are black in the scripture that we know are definitely sinful. But, but he's saying that as Christians, we have lots of freedom and lots of choices. 
but not all choices are going to be good for me. They're not expedient. They're not going to be a blessing to me. And I need to be able to sort through those and make good decisions. Others may, you cannot. You may see a friend doing something, you think, well, because he does it or she does it, it must be okay. No, maybe not. What's God speaking to you? We need to ask ourselves, not what's wrong with it. Do you ever find yourself saying, well, what's wrong with that? What's the question we should ask? What's right with it? That's the question we should ask. Don't have much time to spend here, but we want to think also about abstaining from all appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. This gets into lots of different areas, places you're going to go. You may be invited to go somewhere, but there may be an appearance of evil. Do you want to go there and put a blot on the name of God and dishonor Him? I don't think we do. Some things may be right in moderation, but in excess they're wrong. One of them is food. Food's good in moderation, but in excess, what's the Bible call it? Gluttony. That's right, it's an example. We won't talk much about honoring God with our worship. Just mention briefly, this is a wonderful way to honor God. It's just by worshiping Him. We could have spent the whole session on this. But this is really why we were created, was to worship God. We weren't created just to be saved. We were created to worship God in our salvation. So we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're to worship, we're not to forsake the summing of ourselves together. God calls us to come together and to worship Him. So let me ask you a question. Where are you at in honoring God? We've talked about lots of things. I'd like, maybe we could pass out the handout. There's another handout I'd like to give out to you. <clears throat> and like you to think about these questions briefly for a moment. I think God calls us to a much higher plane than many of us walk. Don't you think so? I think God calls us to, the, to live what He calls the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is up here, folks. The average Christian life is down here. The normal Christian life, the person that's living the normal Christian life is looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. The one that's living the average Christian life is looking to his peers, his culture. He's adjusting himself by his culture. Let me ask you these questions. Thinking about this revival that broke out in Welsh, in Wales, the Welsh revival in 1904, think about these questions seriously. 
Could you be the next generation that could stir an awakening in the hearts of your generation? Could you be? Is God's arm waxed short? God asked that question to Mo or to the children of Israel. When they were complaining about the food, he says, Is the Lord's arm waxed short? In other words, is there any lack in God's ability? No. Through the power of God's Spirit, God could do something with you, each of you, that could change your communities. Are you willing to prayerfully follow these guidelines for yourselves? Are these commitments that you could make? Think about them seriously. Number one, is there any sin in which you have not confessed and repented of? I think we need to get serious with God. We need to search our own heart. Is there anything that I'm hiding from God that I've not repented of and brought before the blood of Jesus to be cleansed? Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We want to be cleansed. We want to come under the fountain. Number two, is there anything doubtful in your life? Is there any behavior that you're not sure is pleasing to God? Maybe it's just a little thing. But is there anything? I've had to search my heart here and do business with God myself. Just an area that the Spirit could be speaking to you. Maybe this isn't right. Romans 14.23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Number three, are you remaining willfully ignorant of what in your life does not please God? That's just kind of choosing not to go there. It's just kind of a little room back here in the back that I just like to kind of keep walled off. I just don't want anyone to go in there. Do you have any rooms like that in your house? Anything that might not please him? James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Number four, do you openly speak about Christ to those around you? You know, this is a little stretching for us, but I think we're a little bit too timid at times. We're a little bit too cautious to really be bold for Christ and just boldly speak His name. And I'm looking forward to Thursday when we can do that together on a street. But, but if, when if we go back home and we go into a store and we talk to people on the phone and on and on, will I openly speak about Jesus? And Jesus says these words. He says, Then everyone who confesses, confesses me before men, I'll confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And we deny Jesus, I think, by refusing to speak his name when we have the opportunity. Last of all, are you willing to follow the Spirit and obey immediately? Are you willing just to listen to the Spirit as he speaks to you through his word to obey him immediately? Here again, Matt Jesus says unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Are you willing? Are you willing? 
to make these commitments? Is there anything here too hard? Maybe you already have, and God bless you if you have. But is there anything on this list that is too hard? I trust not. I like this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, Holiness is characteristic of every Christian. If we are not holy, our profession of Christ is valueless. Our profession of Christ is valueless. If we are not holy, we, every one of us, will give account of ourselves to God. I love these words, sobering words from Romans 13. says, in that knowing the time, it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Do we understand how near it is? The clock is ticking. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is a call, clear call for all of us to a clear commitment to Christ. Maybe we could stand and sing this song in number 918. All to Jesus I surrender. And I think we should think about these words as we sing this song. I'd like to suggest that we don't sing it unless we mean it. And if we mean it, let's sing it with all of our heart. So that the throne in heaven can hear our voices committing to Christ. I surrender all. All. Like Jesus said, unless you forsake all. You cannot be my disciple. He calls us to surrender all. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence. Daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. I trust this song has spoke the sentiments of all of your hearts. We've sang this song, I Surrender All, and may that be our commitment. Doesn't matter where we've been, it matters where we're headed and where we're going. May God bless each one of you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just want to come once more before you in Jesus' worthy name. And just to acknowledge, Father, that you are worthy of all praise and all honor. We want to honor you, Father, by our surrender, by the giving over of our lives to you. We're so grateful, Father, for the sacrifice that you've made for us on Calvary. And Father, you ask us to sacrifice and give our lives to you. Be with each one of these young people, Father, in the commitments that they've made. Father, draw them closer to you. Father, may they experience a, a, a closer walk with you than perhaps they ever have before. Just bless each one of them in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.